So I'm really glad to be here today and to have this opportunity to share. And uh, it's been a great series so far. I heard Pastor Roger's message last week and loved it. And uh, glad to see every one of you. Pastor Joe, it's so, I'm so glad that you are here. I need superintendent advice already, so thank you. I'm glad you're around. I'm going to be asking for some of that uh, along the way. Make sure that you plan on staying for lunch uh, after and uh, for supporting the Ghana mission. We're excited that, um, that each of you are here today and uh, just love it that you've come to church uh, to hear from God. This product on the, uh, on the screen behind me, uh, who knows what that is? Just say it out. What is that? Oh my goodness, you guys. What is it? It is soap on a rope. How many of you have ever bought soap on a rope? All right. Some of you have bought soap on a rope. What a great product, right? How many of you, uh, when you hugged your neighbor, said they need soap on a rope today? No, no, just kidding, right? Just kidding. Listen, soap on a rope, the first tethered bar, it was invented. It was invented in England, actually, along about 1944. It was invented purely for functional purposes. It was to prevent the user from dropping the soap, but also to keep it fairly dry so it didn't dissolve into a soggy blob. So anyway, this smart British company came up with a way to keep the soap fairly dry and solid. And since then, it's become kind of a kitschy novelty thing, right, to buy soap on a rope. I mean, if you're desperate for Father's Day, that's what you get, right? If you you can't find a tie, you go get soap on a rope, you know, for dad. And so it's one of these kitschy things, uh, but consider the seriously useful application of the attached cord before you judge it. Most importantly, it's a money saver, as the soap will most certainly last longer. Then there's also the cleanliness factor, as it's not sitting in standing water and won't leave a trail of scum on the ledge, right? And of course, by wearing it on your wrist, there's no danger of dropping it. The rope keeps you connected to the soap. You get connected to the cleansing agent. It's removing the dirt and the grime from your body. Soap on a rope is a really good thing. Soap is really important. Uh, Combine the soap with water, you've got this powerful combination. And we think about mission work in various places around the world. We think about the the ministry of Project Reach Out in, uh, in Ghana, but also in parts of Ghana and other parts of the world. And you think about just basic hygiene, the power of what that is when people have access to clean water. And you put clean water in soap. The UN uh, put this report out a few years ago on what it means to a community to have good hygiene. Do you realize back, this is in I think 215 when this little graphic came out, every 20 seconds a child dies as a result of poor sanitation. Hygiene is important in the world. It's important to see the world become a better place. The good news is that all over the world, people are coming into these uh, abilities to move from uh, ways where they don't have these basics to where it's happening more and more, where people are getting the basics. So it's important to be connected. As important as soap is, I want to focus today on a phrase that I read from Pastor Levi Lusco in his book, Through the Eyes of a Lion, and that's been our series for these last couple weeks. 
Pastor Justin and Pastor Rogers, they, Roger, they have introduced us to Pastor Levi's story. If you're here for the first time, I'd encourage you to order this book. Pastor Roger has put a, a copy in the church library. It's a powerful, powerful story. And the principles we're talking about through these weeks, combined with the scriptures, that's what's driving our series, Through the Eyes of a Lion. Just before Christmas 2012, Pastor Levi and his family, they were getting ready for Christmas. We know what it's like around here. It's a busy time, but it's a very celebrative time. They, have, uh, four, they had four children, and all the kids were getting ready. The kids were at Grandpa and Grandma's house. And just as Pastor Levi and his wife Jenny got home from a church activity, they were picking up the kids at their parents' house when tragedy struck. Their five-year-old daughter, Lenya, whom they had nicknamed Lenya Lion. She went into a severe asthma attack, and she died in the arms of her father. He was doing everything that he could to revive her, anything he could think of. They called the ambulance, and they did everything possible. She was taken to the hospital, but later the doctors and nurses told Levi that despite all their attempts to bring her back, she had already gone to heaven directly from her father's arms. That night at the hospital, Levi and his wife, Jenny, they were completely, as you can imagine, devastated. It was just one of the most devastating experiences anybody can go through. They were completely devastated, but when they got in the car, Jenny turned to Pastor Levi, to her husband Levi, and she said, you have to go back in to that hospital and invite the doctors and nurses who gave their very best for our daughter to come to church and hear you preach on Christmas Eve. Levi and Jenny, they were um, destroyed, as you can imagine. They could barely function for the next few days. But somehow, on Christmas Eve, just a few days after Lenya's passing, Levi preached a message called Jesus, the one who turned off the dark. After reading their account, I wondered what it was that enabled Levi and Jenny in the darkest moment of their lives to make it. How did they, how did they survive this? How did they make it, and how were they even able to reach out to others with the message of Jesus, with a message about Jesus turning off the darkness? How did they do this? This is how a guy named Peter who had been in the group of three men. He was in a group of 12 men, but he was in a group of the three men who were closest to Jesus. This is Peter. You've, many of you have heard stories about Peter and his boldness and how he was sort of a leader of these followers of Jesus and how he and Jesus had a very special friendship, how they were able to talk to each other in ways that, you know, uh, some of the other disciples probably were a little bit afraid to talk to Jesus. Peter would just go ahead and do it. He was his friend. And this is how Peter put it when he wrote to Christians in the early days of the churches. And so Jesus died and then churches began to form because all the witnesses of Jesus, the disciples of Jesus, they began to tell the story. And when they told the story, people began to decide, we're going to get together in groups like this, in local churches, in groups of people, and we're going to worship Jesus, we're going to lift up Jesus, we're going to proclaim Jesus, we're going to live for Jesus. So 
they had some challenges, of course. And this is how Peter, in addressing those challenges, this is what he wrote. Hear the word of the Lord from 1 Peter 1, verse 3. This is what Peter said. He said, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Two things struck me about that passage when I read it. One is that he's talking about a living hope and he's talking about death. Even in death, there's a living hope. In the worst day of your life, when you're dealing with the death of a loved one, there's still, according to Peter, a living hope. Hebrews 6, 9, uh, sorry, Hebrews 6.19, the author of Hebrews says it this way, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul. Folks, hope is a game changer. A boat that's anchored, as many of you know who have boats on the St. Lawrence River, a boat that is anchored, it can be battered, but it won't be moved. Hope is a powerful thing. The late evangelist, Billy Graham, he put it this way. He said, what oxygen is to the lungs, hope is to our survival in the world. In military survival training courses, the instructors teach a concept called the rule of threes. So in a survival situation, you can last three weeks without food, three days without water, three hours without shelter in the most extreme conditions, and three minutes without air. But you can't make it three seconds without hope. You have to have hope. The most important battle is the one that you fight within. It's in your mind, in your spirit, in your heart. It's that battle to not give up. It's that battle to hold on to hope. If you give up hope, you won't have the motivation to do anything else in a critical situation. And it's a fact backed up by medical scientists. Dr. Meg Meeker, she observed this. Physicians can often tell the moment that terminally ill patient gives up hope. Death comes very quickly afterward. So think of Canada in 219, Ontario, or even Brockville. We have more materially than any generation ever before. We have more access to clean water, good food, education, recreation. We have more information than we could ever process in 10 or more lifetimes. We have so much, but... In the midst of what should be the best of times, we have so many people who are short on hope. Alcohol, opiates, pornography, depression, and suicide, they stalk our community and they ruin lives. People are overwhelmed. You know people are overwhelmed. You know the, the ways that we get overwhelmed. You might have come in here today overwhelmed. And overwhelmed people, they end up just like the old country song used to say, instead of looking for love, they end up looking for hope in all the wrong places. Professor Jordan Peterson of the University of Toronto, who's now famous on YouTube all over the world, wrote the book 12 Rules for Life. He talks about life as one big tragedy and that we need to find ways to bring meaning to what the author of Ecclesiastes called a meaningless or at least sometimes meaningless experience. 
reading Levi and Jenny's story of losing little Lenya Lion, it reminded me of all the loss that we've experienced over the last 12 months as a church. We've had so many blessings, so many great things, but we've also experienced change and we've experienced loss. People taken way too early. Last week I went to the funeral of another dad of a friend from Shawville. We all remember Pastor Aaron's dad and many of us were praying for Pastor Aaron who used to serve here on the staff and now serves at Indiana Wesleyan University as a prof. His dad passed last fall. My, one of my best friends, his dad, also from Shawville, he passed last week, went to that funeral. So many friends in our community have lost parents or spouses. And when I think of the tragedy that happened probably 10 months ago at the river, when a man with challenges who couldn't swim was pushed into the water and drowned, many of you remember this in our own community, Children whose lives were altered. And these were children that this happened with. It was, it was children who pushed him in, essentially teenagers, young teenagers. Their lives were altered forever. Our community was altered forever. This man's family was altered forever. So in the midst of all of this, in the midst of all the overwhelmed, in the midst of all the challenges that we face, where's the hope? Where's the hope? Now, I believe it all comes back to the one that Peter was writing about. The one he followed. The one who taught him how to pray. The one who helped him walk on water. The one who fed hungry people and restored the sight of the blind. The one who healed the lame. And the one who, with a word, chased the evil spirits away. That one person died and came back to life and not just regular life. He didn't just come back to the same life. He came back to what the Bible calls a resurrected life. It wasn't life like before. It was life the way life was always designed from the beginning to be lived. Not just a body, but a resurrected body. Recognizable to friends, but also new in a way that it can never deteriorate again. The body of Jesus Christ will never face aging again, will never face pain, will never face all the things that we face in this broken time, in this in-between time, in our bodies. This is the best news that any of us will ever hear. And when you let it sink in, when you let the resurrection of Christ and the invitation to live into that truth and reality, when you let that sink in, it brings real hope. Folks, it's absolutely time in your life to stop playing around with hopes that are never going to deliver. Money, so what? Right? So many people put their hope in money. So what? I read an article this week about um, Adrian Peterson. He's a running back who played for the Minnesota uh, Vikings, and now I think he's with the Washington Redskins. He's made $100 million over the last dozen years. And guess what? His creditors are suing him because he can't pay them. He's being sued for millions and millions because somehow he went through a hundred million just like that. And I know what you're saying. I wouldn't do that, you know. You might. You might. Money. So what? Career. Who cares? 
Who cares? So you're amazing at what you do. I shouldn't be so flippant. It's a good thing that you do what you do. And in the order of how God created you, you are supposed to do what you do. But so many people are putting their hope in their career. Where's the hope in that? Think of all the careers that are vanishing right now because of technology. I am praying that you guys don't replace all of us preachers with holograms. You know? I really would like the preachers to keep a job. I think there'll always be some form of proclamation of the gospel going on. I don't know if it's always going to be the same. I don't know who's going to replace you in your job. I don't know, teachers, same thing. I mean, who knows when the hologram, maybe they're just going to put Mr. Ford up in front of the class in a hologram. Pray pray no, right? Just pray no. Pray against that, right? But career isn't where we can put our hope. I mean, let me tell you a little story. I play play golf, uh, and golf's not a career for these guys, but I play play golf with a couple of guys around here uh, from time to time that... I think, man, they could have a career, right? One of them is a guy in his mid to late 60s, I think. Maybe he's in his 70s. I have no idea. But anyway, he, he hits the ball about twice the distance that I hit the ball, which is very embarrassing because I'm 20 years younger, right? It's very embarrassing. But you know what he tells me? He's been telling me this. He said, I'm hitting the ball now, and he's an amazing golfer, right? Incredible. I learned so much watching him. But he said, I hit the ball 10 to 15 yards less every year now. Every year he hits it 10 to 15 yards less. Because what we do doesn't last. That doesn't last. You don't keep all of your skills. You don't keep all of these abilities in this life. And it's a broken life, right? You wish you could stay strong forever. As strong as you were when you were 25 or 18. or You just wish you kept, you don't keep that strength. On the phone with my buddy last night, he said, my bench press has gone away. He's 50 years old, you know, like me, okay? He said, my bench press has gone away. I said, oh, poor you, you know, kind of deal. <laughs> I said, my bench press was never there, you know, kind of deal to begin with. Relationships. I love my wife. You know I do. I love her. But putting my hope in her is too much pressure. It's too much pressure on both of us. So many relationships are destroyed because we're expecting too much. We're expecting our hope to be in the relationship, to be in the other person. And no relationship can deliver on overrated hopes. You need a hope that's going to last. You need what Levi Lusco calls hope on a rope. Turn to your neighbor and say, you need hope on a rope. You need hope on a rope, folks. So how do we experience it? And what is it? What is what, is what Levi's talking about? This is where I got this phrase, hope on a rope. How do I experience hope? Well, let's start with that. How do I experience it? If you have your outlines, just take them out, and let's just walk through this a little bit. How do I really get this hope? You get it first by following Jesus which many of you have done. Some of you may be contemplating following Jesus, but the very first thing to do is say, I'm going to follow Jesus. 
I'm going I'm to believe that Jesus Christ is who all of the Bible writers said he was. For all the people of history who have said he was who he was, all those eyewitnesses to the resurrection, that he was resurrected from the dead, he ascended into heaven. So I'm going to follow him, whatever I have to do. And then I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit. I'm going to follow Jesus, and I'm going to receive the Holy Spirit as a gift. First Peter, once again, when you follow Jesus and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit, here's what happens. First Peter 1, 4 to 9. Let me, I'll even back it up just a verse or so. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Verse 4. And into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. So there's more to come. This is what Pastor Joe just told us this morning. There's more to come. It's not over. There's an inheritance kept in heaven for you. This inheritance is kept in heaven, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. You follow Jesus. We talk about being saved. Folks, we are being saved because full salvation is still ahead. Full salvation is when Jesus comes back and makes everything right. We're what's called the first fruits. We're the first ones to taste this salvation. So when, we, when you follow Jesus, you taste Jesus. Jesus and the Holy Spirit, you receive his spirit. And all of a sudden, heaven enters you. But this world isn't heaven yet. And so there's more to come because these bodies are going to be remade. Those of us who die, we're going to be raised up from the grave. Those who remain and are alive are going to meet the Lord, what it says in the, in the scriptures, in the air. We're going to meet Jesus and we're going to be remade. Hope is alive. There's a salvation coming that's yet to be revealed. So Christians, listen, you live an anticipatory life. You're anticipating what's going to happen. There's an excitement. When you think about Christmas or a birthday or an anniversary celebration or a wedding or anything that's ahead of you, you're thinking of it in terms of, wow, look, what, look at the celebration. Look what we're going to do, right? So Christians, you live in an anticipatory way. You're not just, this isn't all. There's more to come. I told you I'm getting old. I can't read what, what verse is next. Ugh. <laughs> oh. There we go. Verse 6. In all this you greatly rejoice. I need new eyes, right? Though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. This is what I was talking about, the losses. Some of you are still in grief. These have come so that your so that the proven genuineness of your faith of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire gold is going to perish right it it dies off that it may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed though you have not seen him you love him and even though you do not see him now you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy that's what God was filling us with during those songs this morning just this sense of joy his presence for you are receiving the end result of your faith, 
the salvation of your souls. This is what we are receiving. Jesus is hope. In the midst of trials, in the midst of suffering, you are being shaped and you are being formed. You are being tested and you are being refined. And you're living in hope and anticipation. Skip down to verse 12, 1 Peter 1.12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves, but you, when they spoke of the things that they have now been told you by those who have preached the good news or the gospel to you, how? By the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. The Holy Spirit is the rope connected to the hope. The hope is anchored in heaven. Jesus is our hope. He ascended to heaven. He's at the right hand of the Father. He's where we cannot see him. When you think of the Old Testament temple, and we'll talk about this in a second, you think of the Old Testament temple, the priest went in, they couldn't see him. This is where Jesus is behind the veil right now, but the Holy Spirit has been sent to us, and the Holy Spirit is the rope that connects us to the hope. Hope has a rope. Hebrews 6 says this of Jesus. We have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. It enters the inner sanctuary behind the curtain where our forerunner Jesus has entered on our behalf. He has become a high priest forever in the order of Melchizedek. Jesus is our hope and the Holy Spirit is our rope that connects us to the anchor to Jesus. Jesus is our anchor, the Holy Spirit is the rope. So I'm going to ask, I didn't, I didn't, uh, who can help me out here? I'm actually just going to put Kenny on the spot. So Kenny, come on up here for a second. All right. Many of you are going, phew, my family members especially. All right, Kenny, I'm not very good with a rope, but I want you to take this rope and I want you to go behind the curtain over there. Okay. I think we've got enough we would, I would, if I was good at knots, which I'm not, I would have tied it around your leg, okay? So go behind that curtain over there, okay? So Kenny is now veiled from you. You can't see him. And when it talks in Hebrews about Jesus, Jesus is veiled from us to a degree, but we know he's there. Jesus, the Father, and Father and Son have sent the Holy Spirit, and we are connected to God through the Holy Spirit. And so this rope is our connection. Hold on to it in there. Yeah, there you go. He's not Jesus, so he's not perfect. So hold on to that rope, okay? But you see that rope? That's the connection to Jesus. Now here's what happens when we sin or when we stray off the path. Some slack comes into the rope, right? There's some slack into that rope. Now think, think about in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, they would send the priest into uh, the Holy of Holies, right? They would tie the rope around the priest's ankle. They did that because in case that priest somehow didn't do something right and God took him out, or just for the practical thing, what if the priest is just kind of has a heart attack in there? We're not allowed to go in there. So they had a rope tied to him so they could pull him out, Right? That's why they had the rope tied to them. They could, I don't know if it ever happened. I don't know if they ever had to use it, but they had it in there, right? 
Well, this is kind of the opposite. Now Jesus has the rope on his end, and it's our job to tie ourselves to this rope to let connect ourselves to the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit connect us to the power of heaven, all power in heaven you're connected to when you receive the Holy Spirit in your life, and to be connected in that way. So don't let slack go into your rope. When you make bad choices, does it mean that God left you? No. Does it mean you feel a little less connected? Yeah. Is it God's fault? No. It's your fault. And then you have an advocate with the Father. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and forgives us our sins and cleanses us from all unrighteousness and we're connected in power to God. Come on out, Kenny. I won't, pull, I won't yank you out. Let's thank Kenny, okay? All right? For that? <laughs> Thanks, brother. There's a rope that connects you to the hope. Number two, you need to live your life in the rest and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, hanging on to the rope. Acts 7.55, it says, But Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, he looked up to heaven, and he saw the glory of God, and he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. How did, how did Stephen see these things? Through the Holy Spirit. When you follow Jesus and receive the Holy Spirit, God opens up the realm of the spiritual to you so that you can have a whole new way of living. When you don't follow Jesus, and when you don't receive the Holy Spirit, you're basically living your life mostly blind and nearly deaf. Think of the concept of eternity. Jesus promised us that because of his life, death, and resurrection, we have eternal life. What does that do for the materialist? Think of the people you know in your life, and they are just, I believe in science, right? And they just kind of, some of them, I, I don't know, they probably don't do this. This is how I hear them, right? I have these, you got to help me because I have these little voices in my head, right? So when people say, I believe in science, I just, I believe in science, you know, kind of deal. And I'm just kind of going, oh, yeah, 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 you know, one of those. Because the materialist, they're, they're half blind or nearly blind and they're mostly deaf because they have no spiritual connection. All they have is their five senses. All they have is what they can prove, what they can see, what they can taste, what they can touch, what they can feel. That's all they have as a materialist. And we have a lot of materialists in Western culture. And they miss the spiritual. Think about the Islamist. The Islamist, and there are wonderful Islamist people Pastor Joe ministers to many, many of them in northern Ghana and other parts of Ghana. But think of the Islamist. The Islamist never has a certainty that they get to go to paradise. They hope so. They hope if they do enough good things in their process, in their religious process, they're hoping so. They've, they've got some hope, but they don't have a sure hope. They don't have hope on a rope, folks. Right? They don't have that. Think of, the, think of the Hindu who believes that life and death are both part of maya, part of an illusion. Hindus believe that when the soul dies that there's karma involved, there's a new body involved, there's reincarnation that can go on and on and on and on. And that's what they're, and they think it's going to be work and work to get better and better. And eventually they want to be swallowed up into the Brahman. They just, they don't want to be individuals. They want to be swallowed up into whatever, whatever, and just kind of, it's like the, 
well, it's not like the Borg. I, I better, better not. But it's sort of like being swallowed up. You're not you anymore. You're just kind of into the great fabric of the universe. And then the Buddhist, the Buddhist has many similar beliefs to the Hindu, but the Buddhist, they simply want to end suffering. It's not a bad pursuit to end suffering. But in their deal, they, uh, they want to just transcend it all and become godlike themselves. And so, folks, listen. This is how Peter, the friend and disciple of Jesus, put it. He said, therefore, with minds that are alert and fully sober, set your hope on the grace to be brought to you when Jesus Christ is revealed at his coming. This is a sure hope, everybody. As obedient children, do not conform to the evil desires you had when you lived in ignorance. But just as he who has called you is holy, so be holy in all you do. And holiness just simply means being set apart and hanging on to the rope, being connected to the Holy Spirit. Letting letting God connect you to Jesus by receiving the Spirit. Last one. Hold on and reinforce or retain your connection. Hold on to the rope. The rope that connects you to the hope is the Holy Spirit. Take take the little piece of rope that you were given on the way in. Just take that little piece of rope that you've got today. Just hold that in your hand. Folks, God wants you to be connected to Jesus every moment of every day. And there are ways to hold on. John Wesley, kind of our our founder way back when, he talked about, and many, many theologians and many pastors talk about means of grace. God has given ways and means for you to have grace and to experience holding on to the Holy Spirit. You you follow Jesus, you receive the Holy Spirit, and then you walk in faith, and you experience means of grace. So let me just talk about three of them really briefly, that Levi talked about in his book. One is, well, before I even talk about what they are, Woody Allen had a saying, he's no, he's no moral, uh, you know, big moral guy to hold up there, but he had a great saying. He said, 80% of success in life is just showing up, right? Folks, you got to show up if you're going to experience the means of grace. And here's three ways you need to show up. One, show up and worship. Show up and worship. I'm so, I'm preaching to the choir because you showed up today to worship. One of the most difficult trends that all of us have been facing in churches over the past decade and a half is the notion that we don't need to show up on Sunday and worship. There's a lot of people will tell you, oh, I don't need that. I'm, I'm above that. I'm spiritually, I don't need to be with the body, right? I can experience God other ways. Folks, you got to show up. Levi said it this way in the book. He said, there's lots of ways to grow in your relationship with God's spirit, serving other people, taking a walk and venting to the Lord, talking to a friend that you can be real with. But I have found that there's nothing so powerful and effective as gathering together with the church. It's not easy in a world that never stops. It isn't convenient. Many of you have shift jobs. Many of you have jobs that make it really hard to be here. And so don't hear me wrong on this. I'm not being condemning. But I'm saying we all need to do whatever we can do to make sure that we're showing up to worship as much as we possibly can. 
It isn't convenient, but it's God's plan that one day in seven you gather with a group of people committed to Jesus and experience the rope of hope that is the Holy Spirit. Number two, show up and pray. How many of you have ever heard of free diving? Any of you ever experience it or try it or watch it? I mean, we've all tried it as kids, right? We go to the 10-foot bottom of the pool. You know, we take a big breath and we go down there and then our ears start to hurt and all that. You guys have done, you know, like we've all done our own version of free diving. But it's an incredibly dangerous thing what these guys do. There's a diver named William Truebridge. He descends 331 feet, no air tank, twice the height of the Statue of Liberty. What he does first is bananas. On the surface, he gulps and swallows to pack his lungs more than he could through regular breathing. His lungs swell to the size of watermelons. He knows he's going to a dark place, so he's storing up all he can for when he needs it. By the time Truebridge completes his descent, the pressure squeezes his lungs to the size of oranges. So they go from watermelons to oranges. This is one way of picturing our need for prayer. We ask God to fill us so full of his Holy Spirit that we're able to keep swimming, to keep going. Keep on keeping on, even when we have to go to very dark places and endure very dark circumstances. Last one, we show up in giving. We also, we hold on and we give. I think one of the reasons God created these beautiful and crazy groups called local churches, I think one of the reasons God created marriage, I think one of the reasons that God created uh, just this sense of, of the mission is that we would have a place to practice sacrificial giving so we would understand major sacrifices when the time comes. I read a story this week about Enkeel uh, Harry. He's a new, most of you aren't familiar with Enkeel Harry. He's a new wide receiver with the New England Patriots. I'm already thinking about the Super Bowl, right? That's coming in January. But Enkeel Harry, this week, he's a rookie, right? And he... He, they were in a drill, and he was, it was the offense of the Patriots, and he was supposed to run his pattern. Well, he completely, from the first part when the whistle blew, he was in the wrong place. He messed up the whole thing. Coach Belichick stopped the whole operation. He made every player, including Tom Brady, run a penalty lap around the whole big stadium, made him run a penalty lap, and then he got them all together, and he said this to them. He said he got them all together, and he talked about what it takes to win the big game. It takes a whole bunch of little sacrifices along the way. When God asks you to give a dime from every dollar, he's asking you to practice for when it's really going to be a big time to give. See, when I was a kid and my mother and father taught me about tithing and I got a $5 allowance or a five, I made five bucks doing an odd job, I mean, a dime from every dollar was 50 cents, right? And when I was learning how to give in that time, 50 cents out of five bucks, I still bought lots of candy bars, right? I was still in good shape. But what happens later down the road? And so God trains us in giving along the way. We train in giving. Because, folks, it's not just about the money for the church. It's not just about the money for the mission. God's going to ask you to give some big things in your life, maybe to your spouse when they need your help. Maybe in going as a missionary. Maybe in planting a church. 
maybe in some kind of mission like Project Reach Out where people need wells dug or where people need churches built so that in the rainy season there'll be a place. See, it's giving. God wants you to give and to be trained up in that. And all the while, you hold on to the rope. You're holding on to the Holy Spirit. You're not doing it in your... You're doing it in the power of heaven because you're connected to heaven. Pastor Levi said it this way. Right now is the time to strengthen your faith. Today is the right day to put down roots in a local church and sow yourself into the fabric of the body of Christ. Sing your guts out to the Lord as a drowning man cries for air, even when you don't feel your need for Him. Open your Bible and seek God's face every morning. On both the days you don't get anything out of it and the days when the verses jump off the page. Hold on to the rope. Hold on to the Holy Spirit of God who connects to Jesus, who connects you to God the Father and all of heaven. Hold on to the rope. The creed of the smoke jumpers, it's an elite group of firefighters that are like the Navy SEALs of firefighting. Their creed is this. Do today what others won't. Do tomorrow what others can't. Right now, you're training for a trial that you're not yet in. Public victory comes through private discipline. You will not faint in the day of adversity. Your trial will not be easy or over quickly, but you will get through it. Your rope of hope will hold you you'll be connected to Jesus.